G'day. Welcome back to Bloody Bizarre. My name's Emma. I'm Sarah. Hope you enjoyed last week's silliness. <laughs> it was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it was a short one. I was saying to Emma, it was a little bit hard to pat it out because <laughs> there wasn't really any credible well, sources. Yeah, there wasn't really evidence. To- <laughs> <laughs> like it's literally just sightings. Yeah. <laughs> um, so all I could really do was just like, and even then a lot of, like I said, a lot of them was just the same sightings repeated. So I was like, yeah, okay, I know about that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I, I, I heard that one. I heard the one about him being What's another one? A, an alligator. <laughs> yeah, I know he's ugly. What's another one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, yeah, hopefully it just adds a bit of brevity to, you know. Sure. Did we've you had say gravity? Brevity. Oh, yeah, to this whole series, I guess. Yeah, yeah we've had a couple of heavy ones. so we and needed long ones, yeah. We needed something to break it up. Yeah. I needed something to break it up. Yeah. Okay, um, well, I'm going to get started on my one. Okay. Have you got nothing else to say? Nope. Okay, so my sources today are an article on Nine News by David Richardson, Reddit. I'm surprised you didn't use Reddit last week. Yeah, actually, that's, yeah, I reckon Reddit would have actually had some interesting theories. (laughs) (laughs) You said that so earnestly. (laughs) Um, A Perth Now article by Max Blinken and an episode of Under Investigation by Liz Hayes from March 2023. Is this one a WA one? Nope. Oh, yes, it is. Sorry, it is. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I did not know that. Uh, Well, it's partly WA. Let me get into it. Okay. So as I like to do, uh, today I'm going to tell you about an unsolved mystery. Mm -hmm. This one uh, of the nautical persuasion. Mm -hmm. Again, as I want to do, I've done a couple of nautical ones so far. Early theory. Yeah. Hawkesbury River Monster did it. Uh, Incorrect. Absolutely incorrect. Um, Couldn't be more wrong. So it begins right here. In WA, in Western Australia. Cool. So October 16th, 1988, a boat named the Patanella set sail from Fremantle, a port city here in WA. The Patanella and the six members on board were heading for Airlie Beach in North Queensland, a journey which was expected to take about a month. For those who aren't familiar with the geography of Australia, Fremantle is on the low west coast of the country and Airlie Beach is high on the east coast of the country. Uh, The plan was to sail around the bottom of Australia. Uh, then up the east coast. Okay. So, like, going across the bite. Yep. Uh, However, the boat would never arrive and would never be seen again, nor would any of the four remaining crew on board. Four? Yeah, because they dropped two off earlier. I'm going to get through it. Okay. On board was wealthy Perth businessman and owner of the boat, Alan Nickel. The skipper, Ken Jones, a 52-year-old veteran. Um, Jones' wife, Noreen and the pair's adult daughter, Ronna Lee. Uh, Also on board were two hired crew members, 23-year-old John Blissett and 21-year-old Michael Calvin. Those two um, had approached Mr. Nickel and asked him if they could crew the boat to gain sailing hours and eventually get their navigational certificate. Alan Nickel and Ronna Lee Jones would disembark early due to prior work commitments. Alan disembarked in Esperance and Ronna Lee in South Australia. So that's why there was only four remaining on board. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Alan Nickel had purchased the twin-masted steel-hulled schooner as he intended to operate it as a charter boat around the Whitsundays. 
Am I speaking weird? Does my lisp sound especially bad? I burnt it on some soup tonight. (laughs) So, you know, maybe it's a little bit. (laughs) Nah, it doesn't sound weird to me. As a charter boat around the Whitsundays, this was the reason for the voyage to get the boat up there. So it was it was like a delivery crew, essentially. Oh, okay. It's weird that he was one of the people who left early, even though it was his boat. So the plan was for him to meet them in Sydney to then continue up. Oh, okay. So yeah. he was just getting dropped off. He was going to go do his work shit and then he was going to like meet them. Meet them in Sydney yeah. to then go up to Queensland. Yep. Yeah. It was hand, this boat, the Patanella, was considered incredibly sturdy. It was hand built in the mid 1950s in Tasmania, the first steel hulled ship of its kind constructed there, and one of the rarest vessels in the country. Um, the Patanella contained four airtight steel compartments, making it incredibly unlikely to sink, even in an emergency event. Been expensive. Yes, it would have been expensive. It had a career ferrying scientific teams to the Antarctic, operating as a crayfishing vessel in some of the toughest and roughest seas before being bought by nickel. Okay. So it, ha- it was sea tested. Yeah. The vessel was equipped with the latest technology, um, colour radar and anti-collision and completely refitted for its voyage from Fremantle to Ely Beach. So top of the range boat with top of the range machine. Mm-hmm. This is a quote. It was about as unsinkable as you could get with a steel vessel, investigator Robert Reed told Channel 9. Never call a ship unsinkable. Have they learnt nothing from the Titanic? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Another quote. It was a robust steel 75-foot schooner and had proved to be a well-founded seagoing large yacht. That's from submariner John Dickenberg. Uh, He was also in um, the uh, documentary I watched. Oh. Did you smile at his name? No. Sarah smiled at the name Dickenberg. (laughs) For the most part, there was no indication anything was wrong. Halfway across the Great Australian Bight, the two crewmen, those two young guys, penned a letter, put it in an empty Bacardi bottle and threw it overboard. Um, The letter invited the reader to a holiday in the Whitsundays, reading, quote, Hi there, out here in the lonely Southern Ocean and thought we would give away a free holiday in the Whitsunday Islands in North Queensland, Australia. Our ship is travelling from Fremantle, Western Oz to Queensland to work as a charter vessel, end quote. Um, the note invites the finder to call one of a pair of phone numbers to claim the prize. Was it legit? Um, I, I heard someone say it was like a joking letter, but they did put their real numbers on there. So maybe, who knows? So like if somebody had called, they would have been like, yeah, fuck it. You can yeah, come. come on up. Yeah. I guess this sounds like this person is rich. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it gives Paternella's position as 34 degrees, 26 minutes, 20 seconds south, 129 degrees, 18 minutes and 54 seconds east in the Great Australian Bight. None of that means anything to me. but No, but it does mean that they knew exactly where they were yeah. and that they were on track and on target. Yeah, yeah. The barnacle-encrusted bottle would be found by a woman beachcombing on the Esperance coastline in Western Australia 20 years after the boat's disappearance in 2008. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. What? Yep. Um, so back to 1988 now. So we were just in 2008. We we're going back to the period of time when the boat Sorry, was... that's just, it's crazy to me. That blows my mind. What? That 20 years later, they found this bottle from the Patanella. Like... Well, it was on a really um, remote coastline. So it's possible that it washed up way earlier. Yeah. I'm not saying that I don't believe it. It's just like that's like a mind-blowing thing to find. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like what a find. 
Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And like nobody knew that that letter existed and then been mm. like, um, hey, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it sounds like these guys were having a great time before yeah. like whatever happened happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like what a piece of evidence to rock up 20 years after the fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so October 29th, back in the 80s. Late 80s. Yes. The Paddanella docked in Port Lincoln, South Australia, and there Ronalee Jones disembarked. Um, she had to attend work commitments, as I said. Alan had already disembarked in Esperance earlier, um, and as I also said, the group's plan was to pick up Alan in Sydney two weeks later for the last leg of the journey. The first hint of things maybe not being all okay was a call that Ken Jones, the skipper, received during the voyage. So... The captain received a call from his son back in Perth um, and the son was calling to alert his father that his boat, the Fremantle Doctor, was being repossessed. Ken's electronics business was facing massive financial issues and the bank had started to repossess some of his items. So this is Ken though, this is not the owner of the Patanella. No, the owner is... Alan. Uh, yeah, Alan Nickel. Yeah. So Ken Jones is just the hired um, skipper. Yeah. Um, but but him, things, things are not going well for him. Yes, and him, his wife, and his daughter were on board. Okay. His daughter had left, so now it's him and his wife on board. Yeah. But so um, his electronics business was, was facing real issues yeah. going down the drain. Almost a year before this trip in 1987, a financial crisis known as Black Monday had occurred, and Ken Jones had um, really been impacted by that. And apparently um, Ken's son said that he cut the call off early with him after hearing this news. Mm, okay <clears throat> retired submarine commander john dickenberg the one that you laughed at um said i didn't laugh i smirked the one that you smirked at um said quote my entire reading of ken jones was that at the very least he was under a lot of pressure end quote yeah so as the Paternella approached portland and victoria only ken jones his wife and the two crewmen were on board right yeah. Because Nickel and Ronalee left early. Upon arrival into Victoria, Jones rang the boat's owner, Nickel, requesting $500 for fuel, which was wired through to him. Bizarrely, though, it doesn't seem like he bought fuel. Mm. The Paternella restocked with some supplies, but no extra fuel and continued on its voyage. Did it need fuel? Who knows? Okay. Now... I'm gonna get onto I'm gonna get onto the the fact that he used the motor most of the way when he should have been using the sails. Um, so it's possible that he did need fuel. Also possible that he didn't. Who knows? Mm. Can I ask a question? You can. Was this like a high profile voyage? Like or like No. Nah. It was just a normal like there was no like you know, no eyes media. on it necessarily. No. no. Okay. Yeah. On November 7th, oh, sorry, on November 5th, uh, Michael Calvin's father received a surprise radio call from his son. Who is Michael Calvin? Calvin is one of the young, Michael Calvin, oh, Michael Calvin's father. The... So Michael Calvin is the one of the crewmen, the young guys. Yep. And his dad got a call. His dad got a call out of the blue. Um, now, the two boys were keeping contact with their family, but this wasn't a scheduled call. So it was okay. out of the blue, received a call. Calvin said to his dad, quote, good day, dad, before the line suddenly went dead and there was no further communication from him. Did he say good day or did he say g'day? I'm not sure. It's written good day. 
No, I think if he'd, if he'd said g'day, it would have said g'day. Seems very strange for say, a, good day, Dad. a 20-something-year-old to I know. be like, good day. <laughs> I know, I know. He's not in, you know, the fucking 20s. The 20s, already, yeah, yeah, like we talked about last week. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I shan't want to go in there. <laughs> um, on November 7th, so this is two days after this call, the ship was seen motoring past a lighthouse in Jarvis Bay, south of Sydney. Still on track. Still on track, yep. yep. And in the early hours of the morning of November 8th, the Paddinella arrived off the coast of Bodney Bay, Sydney Harbour. It was a calm night on the water, but there was a problem. At two and a half minutes to one, um, OTC, which is Overseas Telecommunication Commission, which is basically like radio traffic for the, the sea, um, they received a message from the skipper, Ken Jones. Recorded tapes reveal these messages. So Ken Jones says, quote, Sydney Radio, Sydney Radio, Sydney Radio. This is Padanella, Padanella, Padanella on Channel 16. Do you read? And I think saying it three times is, is standard, is like the, yeah. the thing that you do. Yeah. OTC then responds, Padanella, Sydney, good morning, loud and clear, over. Right? Ken Jones then says, Padanella, I believe we've run out of fuel. We're approximately 10 miles east of Botany Bay. Um, we've hoisted our sails and we're tacking out to the east. So tracking about 080. Ken also indicated in his call to, to OTC that he might need assistance in the morning getting into the dock at Sydney Harbour. So let's pause here for a moment. Um, and we're going to talk about this scenario a little bit. So Ken Jones is an experienced skipper, very experienced skipper. He should not have been motoring most of the way, which made his call for fuel in Victoria weird. And even if he had been motoring a lot of the way, rather than using the sails, which he should have been, he should have been able to say that he was running low on fuel and should have then been conservative towards the end, knowing that he had to dock in Sydney Harbour. He would have also had multiple opportunities to refuel along the coast. Mm. Also, needing assistance into the harbour is unusual as well. Uh, the expert panel consulted said that someone of Ken's expertise should have been able to sail into Sydney Harbour easily. Ken's son said that his father would have been able to get into the harbour backward and blindfolded. So him asking for assistance to get into the harbour doesn't make any sense. So all of these decisions that he's making and things that he's saying don't make a lot of sense. The panel of experts interviewed in the under investigation episode also raised the fact that Ken says he believed that they'd run out of fuel. He would, he would know that definitively. Um, and his son said that he never spoke in like, he always spoke definitively. He always said, we're coming Could here. Could he be embarrassed? Certainly, maybe? I think, yeah. Certainly. Like, I think that's a possibility. Like, I'm just thinking if he asks for money to get fuel mm. and he's got money issues, maybe he's like, I'm just going to pocket that money. Yeah. And like, hopefully we can just make it without needing extra fuel. And then he's gotten close and been like, fuck. Yeah. And then that's like embarrassing for him yeah. to have made yeah. a fuck up like that. Definitely. Veteran yachtswoman Adrienne Callahan believed Jones may have just been distracted. She says, quote, he mightn't have been on his game and then not taking on the fuel. It might have been a risk that he took and he might have thought, oh, well, I'll get it in Eden. And then he got to Eden and he thought, oh, no, I'll make it to Sydney. It'll be okay. Yeah. And that gamble didn't pay off, end quote. Yeah, as somebody who lets their um, fuel gauge get down to, like, flashing, <laughs> um, I, I can see that happening. The second and third calls to OTC are even weirder. So in the second call, Ken asks OTC how far south Maruya is. OTC responds, telling Ken that Maria is 300 k's south of them, or 300, yeah, 300 k's south of them, essentially. This is weird because Ken would have sailed past Maria hours prior, 
he would have known exactly where it is. It's been suggested that there was a northeast wind blowing and perhaps he wanted to sail backwards into a port for help, um, but there were much closer options that he could go to. And again, even someone with half of Ken's experience would know that. John Dickenberg said, quote, I have no explanation. I have no idea why you would make that first call to say I'm east of Botany Bay and then asking for directions to Maria. He'd know where he is, end quote. And then Adrian Callahan added, quote, that is very strange. That is probably the strangest thing of everything, end quote. Hmm. A Navy submarine was five kilometres from the Patanella's reported position just off the coast of Sydney, and they did not spot the Patanella on their radar. So this does lead credence to the idea that the yacht was a long way from where it was supposed to be or thought it was and was maybe lost. Yeah, yeah, like he thought that he was... But they did have all the, like, high-tech machinery. And if that wasn't working, surely he would have said that over the radio. Didn't know that the machinery wasn't working. Yeah. The third and final call to OTC is as follows. Ken says, 300 k's south. Is it south? And then there's static noise and the line goes dead. The Paternella is never heard from again. Whoa. So the veteran sailor Adrienne speaks about this call. She says, it's very unusual that a skipper would use kilometres. She said they always speak in nautical miles without fail. Huh. Now, was it definitely him? Yeah, it was him. His son confirmed it was his voice. Since no emergency was declared, the radio operator, so the OTC, never followed up and checked whether the yacht arrived in Sydney. He said skippers often change their minds, so it was not on their policy, um, sorry, not their policy to ensure every vessel carried out its stated intentions or where it was supposed to be. Yeah, fair enough. When the Patanella did not arrive at Ely Beach and no one had heard from the crew, the boat and those on board were reported missing. How much later was that? I think 20 days later. Oh, my God. uh, No, 11 days later, I think it was. Yeah, that's still a long time. Yeah. The Patanella has never been located, sunk or otherwise, nor has any debris except for one life buoy. Likewise, none of the four crew on board have ever been seen or heard from since. Wow. So the only things that have been found are the buoy and that Bacardi bottle. Correct. Let's talk theories. Mm. I I have one simmering. Okay. I'll go through these and then you can Mm. tell me if I've covered it. So, first of all, the unusual nature of the OTC radio calls led author and investigator Robert Reed to believe foul play was involved. Reed, who investigated the disappearance for years, maintains to this day that the Padanella was hijacked by a third party who boarded the vessel or by the two young crewmen on board. That doesn't make any sense. Okay, hang on. Coincidentally, John Blissett and Michael Calvin had worked on the Australian movie Dead Calm. Dead Calm is a movie about a yacht being hijacked. The two men had worked on the production of the film. That is weird. The two young men apparently experimented with drugs every now and then, and they also had apparently made drunken jokes about hijacking a vessel and sailing it to South America. (laughs) Robert Reed believes there were too many coincidences. He says, quote, when you look at the so-called coincidence that they'd been talking about that, then Calvin turns up in Fremantle and talks his way onto the Patanella. Then Blissett turns up, two old mates, and he gets on board as well. So they turn up on Patanella and she goes missing. Actually, it, does. it actually is a pretty good theory. <laughs> John Blissett's mother, Marge, refuted that theory out of hand. She says, quote, they wouldn't. They were not like that. They knew what was right and what was wrong in life. This was not something they would do, she said. 
Mothers never believe their sons do anything yeah, wrong. Yeah, yeah. But I was because I, I was going to say it wouldn't make sense because they went missing too. But if they went to South America, <laughs> start of new life. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there was nothing in their actions leading up to the disappearance which indicated the boys intended piracy um, and hijack. Their carefree message in a bottle seems to show that they were having a good time and they actually expected to arrive in Queensland as planned. <laughs> they were also maintaining regular contact with their families and in all correspondence seemed normal. Yeah. Except saying good day. Yeah. But then that got cut off too. Mm. So potentially there was someone else on board or, yeah, you know. Yeah. Another foul play possibility, maybe the captain with the financial problems had something to do with the disappearance. The captain is experiencing incredible stress. His business is failing. His boat has been repossessed. There's no hope in sight. Perhaps he decided to take the boat and start a new life somewhere. Uh, maybe he murdered those on board. Maybe not. Who knows? There's been talk about a potential murder-suicide situation occurring. Another offshoot of the foul play idea is the possibility that the boat had been boarded by outsiders though mm-hmm. another uh, sorry after listening to a recording of his father's final radio communications ken jones son thought they sounded a little off he wondered if ken might be speaking under duress yeah and if someone was forcing him to radio in a false location yeah and that maybe that could be why he was using kilometers to yes. sort of try and like hint that yes. like something's not right yeah, like speaking in in like code almost. yeah like trying to be like this is weird this is weird like yeah. something's going on if Please someone listens to this they'll, they'll hopefully hear that i'm being weird yeah yeah if the boat had run out of fuel only 10 nautical miles from shore in botany bay it made no sense that ken would ask for directions to maria when it was 300 kilometers in the opposite direction the boat had also the boat also had radar, satellite navigation, lifeboats, and an emergency radio beacon, which could be detected by a passing aircraft. But there's no indication the beacon was ever turned on. So yeah, perhaps Ken was speaking in that weird way to alert someone that there was an issue on yeah. board. Um, and and maybe the fact that he said we might need some assistance getting to the harbour in the morning. Yeah, maybe that was him going like. Obviously, I can get in on my own, mm-hmm. but we're going to need assistance when we do. Yep, and like these people who've hijacked the They're not going boat, to know. They don't know. Yeah. This, is, this could just be a normal call. Yeah. However, hijackers in that part of the ocean are essentially unheard of. Um, the, wor- the waters off Sydney Harbour are some of the safest in the world, and you would not generally see someone getting hijacked in that area if that's where they actually were. That's not to say someone didn't board with them in Victoria or in South Australia or, you know, wherever the fuck they they um, went to dock. Is it more common there? No. I thought the no, water's all around it's, Australia. It's incredibly uncommon, but I'm saying while they were on dock, while they were on land, maybe someone oh. boarded. But it's still incredibly uncommon. Yeah. Almost unheard of. Is hijack the right word when it's... Pirate? Yeah. I think, I think it's... Yeah, I don't know. Ultimately, a panel of experts on the case said Ken was not acting like an experienced skipper, which he was. Yeah. Um, The reason for this is unknown. Okay. Second theory is that the boat sank. A coroner actually ruled the Patanella was the victim of a sudden sinking after a massive collision with another vessel, most likely a much larger tanker. Oh, so that that they wouldn't have known that they'd even hit. Yeah. Like the tanker tanker wouldn't have known. The tanker potentially wouldn't have known. Yeah. Um, the east coast of Australia is a very busy shipping area. If they were even remotely close to where they thought they were, they'd be in the main Sydney shipping lanes. Okay. Dozens of ships were investigated, but only one, a 43,000 ton bulk carrier, the Howard Smith, was anywhere near the Patanella at the time. 
Howard Smith crew members told federal police they did not see the smaller vessel on radar nor heard a collision and there was no sign of any impact with another ship on their ship. Okay. What mystified under investigation's panel of experts was the complete lack of any debris. Ian Veach, who is a search and rescue veteran, he says, quote, with any search, you usually find some debris, something to indicate either an accident or something that's floated from the vessel when it sank. In this, there's just nothing. The water depth... Like, especially given it was close to the coast. Like, it's Mm. not like it was out in open ocean. It Mm -hmm. was like it was close to the coast already. So you'd assume that there'd be some things that washed up. Yeah, there wasn't even like an oil slick or anything like that. Yeah. Um, The water depth off the coast is too deep for divers, so the areas could not be searched, even if they knew exactly where the vessel was, which they didn't. So nothing was found until almost six months later when a life buoy clearly marked as Patanella's was located off the coast of Terrigal, north of Sydney. A marine biologist performed tests on the life buoy and concluded that it couldn't have been in the water for longer than four weeks, even though the boat had been missing for six months at that point. What? What the fuck? So what, the the boat was just hanging around with... Possibly. Like them all dead on board or something. Or did someone pick up the life boy and then drop it? It could be something completely like benign. Oh, like another boat picked yeah, it up? Yeah, it could be, yeah. But then surely... Or was it on land and then got washed back out? You know, who knows? Mm. Um, Adrienne Callahan, using weather and tidal data from that time, concluded that any debris would have been washed out to sea. And with a search not being instigated for 11 days after the disappearance, the likelihood of finding anything was remote. She, she says this is what oh, she okay. believes. All right. So even that was close to the coast, the water was going the other way. So it would have pulled stuff out. But, instead but, of- but Veach, the search and rescue guy, says you always find something. Regardless. Now, it's been suggested also that perhaps the boat got into trouble or perhaps realized at the last minute that they were on a collision course with a larger vessel. Um, The crew then maybe got on the life raft and then were taken out to sea and then they maybe died at sea. Weather patterns from that day show that the water and wind directions were moving outwards and there was a low pressure system coming down the coast that would have made the water incredibly dangerous for a group on a life raft. So a fact that throws a spanner in the, at this theory for me is that the boat was fitted with anti-collision technology. Yeah, it, I mean... If it was working, the exactly. skipper should have been able to avoid any ships. But it could have been... Dodged. But then also on, the, on that massive tanker, their radar showed no boat. You know, it would mean that theirs wasn't working either and theirs clearly was. Mm, yeah. Um, the third theory is that carbon monoxide killed the crew. So... Ken's son said, said that his dad didn't sound like himself on the radio calls, so perhaps he was becoming confused and eventually overcome by carbon monoxide engulfing the crew too. Um, but you would think that eventually the boat would have been found if this was the case, especially if they dropped anchor near Botany Bay. And also I feel like a boat, there's like a lot of fresh air and stuff. Yeah. Like I know there's obviously like the, the cabin yeah, and it can be sealed. Yeah, I suppose yeah. maybe if they if they're all like sealed in there. But again, it would have carbon monoxide detectors, and and surely, you know, I don't know, I don't I don't buy that theory. But um, 
Officially, the boat has never been located, uh, but there have been dozens of unconfirmed sightings. I, I mean, I guess officially the coroner's report is that it sank, but, um, you know, it's, it's never been located. Um, there have been dozens of unconfirmed sightings, though. So they call it Australia's ghost ship. All were investigated and only one seemed remotely credible. Retired New South Wales police officer Ted McCarthy and his wife saw a yacht matching the Patanella in March 1989, months after, after the disappearance. They saw the boat in Tully, far north Queensland. The boat's disappearance had been making the rounds on and in the news. Armed with a magazine article uh, with a picture of the Patanella, so he had it to compare to, McCarthy compared the picture with the boat using his binoculars uh, in the interview, he calls them his binocs. <laughs> That's a weird shortening. Yeah, this guy's a real character. Binocs. Binocs. He goes, I grab my binocs. Um, he re- like, you'd call them like binos or something. Yeah. Like my, yeah. my binnies or yeah. binocs. <laughs> um, he remained convinced he was witnessing the missing schooner. He says, quote, holy hell, that bloody looks like it. <laughs> That's exactly what he sounds like to me. He says, quote, I identified a number of points, things like it had square portholes, which was a bit unusual. It was blue. The color was all exactly the same. The rigging was the same. The wheelhouse down the back of the boat was as per the picture. And up the front on the bowsprit area, there was plaited rope, which was quite noticeable and quite obvious. And it was on the Patanella. I should have followed it. So he, so he said the boat seemed to be kind of drifting about and the sails were also flapping about. He said it looked odd. Oh, like there was nobody on it. Okay, hang on. He radioed the vessel asking for identification and whoever was on board denied the ship was the Patanella. So this this is how the call went. So McCarthy asks directly, are you the yacht Patanella? About six seconds later, a voice comes on the line and it says negative, negative, negative. McCarthy then asks what the yacht's call sign is, if it's not Patanella, and the yacht doesn't respond. Now, it's creepy. Yeah. Regardless if it was or wasn't, it hoisted anchor and disappeared for all time. Uh, another eyewitness in the same area actually saw the yacht sailing out to sea shortly after the McCarthy's contact. Officially, the coronial investigation concluded the boat likely crashed into a tanker and all on board died. However, many don't accept the official finding. Regardless, yeah, there's no evidence for that. No evidence. Yeah. Regardless of what happened, the Padanella and all on board remain missing and the case continues to baffle. Ooh. And that is the disappearance of the Padanella. That's insane. What was your theory? Oh, I've changed my mind now. <laughs> <laughs> you made a really compelling case. Um, I was going to say, is it possible that they were drunk or high or something? Um like when they got into Sydney and that's why they were confused and that's you know, like that led to them so the, crashing the, or something. The call from Ken, he doesn't sound incredibly distressed. Yeah. He sounds relatively calm. I have now bought into the theory that um, somebody else was on board and he was under duress. And yeah. so he was trying to. It's my fridge. It makes noises sometimes. Um, I'd be so scared living in your house. Yeah, there's a lot of noises that happen. And just like the fact that it's not like secure. Secure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, look, I I'm wish probably going to be murdered. I, yeah, I wish you yeah. would get some more security stuff. You'd think that given all the true crime I consume, I would be more concerned about my own personal safety. I know, yeah. I, get, I put a lot of faith in Clifford. Yeah. 
which you shouldn't because that won't – people will just, like – Kill him. Kill him, yeah. Okay, uh, back to this. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, I feel like it makes a lot of sense for if you're on a call with somebody – to be like dropping subtle hints that something's yes. wrong by saying weird things and saying things you wouldn't usually say. It's actually pretty – if if that is the case, it's pretty clever the way he did it, right? Yeah. Saying like Maria and they'd be like, well, he passed Maria. That's weird. And then him and going like, 300 we might Ks. Need, we might need assistance. We might need assistance. Yeah. All like very, very subtle. Mm. So subtle that the OTC didn't pick up on it, but his yes. son was like – that's not like dad. Yeah. And you would have to be that subtle if someone had a gun to your head. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think it's that. Okay. I don't know what happened then. Yeah. But... Well, what could have happened is they could have all been killed and the boat's been taken to, um, you know. Wherever. Wherever. It, it was sighted in North Queensland. So it could have continued up the coast and then just the, continued The up voice with... that said negative, negative, negative. Yeah. Were they able to like, was it like male female australian. i think it was a male voice i'm not sure about anything else he didn't say that it wasn't australian so i'm guessing it was australian because if it was like south Af- south american or something like that then surely he would have been like yeah, yeah you know it sounded foreign or yeah whatever but yeah weird right super weird Clifford breathing <laughs> um yeah. um yeah super weird and kind of creepy creepy yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I've heard of the Patanella before, but yeah. I actually didn't know the story. Mm, mm. And that is a lot creepier than – I thought it was just a ship that sank. Like, Yeah. And I didn't think it was so recent. Me neither. Yeah. yeah. I, th- I thought it was an old – because Patanella, that sounds old. Yeah, it sounds like a, like a seafaring, like, yeah. pirate ship. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not like, you know, a tourist boat that's going up to the Sundays. Yeah. Mm, that is really creepy. I know. And even just the, like, the sighting of it and then the person being, like, negative and then, like, fucking off as fast as they could. That's weird. Yep. And And so the thought of, like, to me, the thought of a boat with nobody on it is very creepy. Mm. And the thought of a boat with four dead people on it is very creepy. It's even creepier. That gives me goosebumps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. um, There's something scary about nautical crimes. Yes, there is. I think it's because you can't get off the boat. Yeah, yeah, maybe it's the like the isolation yeah. of it. Like you can't just call the police, so you yeah. can't just run away. In my mind, I just thought like it would be the same as like if there was a crime committed on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so mm. that's the that's the Patanella. Let us know what you think, people. Yeah, I'd love to hear people's thoughts and theories. Yeah, and if you've got any like personal connections or you know, because it wasn't that long ago. Um, yeah. You know, we might have some personal connections, given that half the crew were WA-based. Yeah, the skipper, possibly. the owner. The only Queenslanders were the two young guys on board. Yeah. And it's really sad in that documentary. His mum is like, I'm still grieving. Like, I lost my son. And, like, she seems, course, like, she seems yeah. like a lovely lady. And, um, and honestly, those, those boys seem like nice kids. Like, I, you know, I don't yeah. really buy that they hijacked it. It's that, you know how I said they, they use drugs? Mm. They smoked weed. Oh, come yeah. on. That doesn't yeah. count. Yeah. In the in the under investigation, Liz Hayes is like, and they were caught using marijuana. Like, <laughs> okay. All right. Simmer down, Liz, as if you haven't ever. <laughs> yeah, I hate when they do that, when they're yeah. like recreational druggies. Blah, 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 and then it's like, oh, they, they took Dexies one time and like yeah. they used to smoke pot occasionally. <laughs> like, yeah. 
Another surprisingly creepy one. Yeah. Because um, Havana syndrome scared the shit out of I me. I know it did. Uh, I know it did. And this one's got me kind of scared too. Yeah. You're probably a little bit on edge also just being in my house because you think it's scary. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye.